Hi, this is Dawn Marie Roeder, author of the inspirational book, It Doesn't End Here. You can find me and my work at my website, www.itdoesnthere.com. I'm wondering if you're sure you're getting the right faith nutrients these days. You can be comforted in the knowledge that your faith is well-nourished if you tune into Catholic Vitamins with Deacon Tom and his lovely wife, Dee. Catholic Vitamins, good faith from A to Z. Welcome to Catholic Vitamins, your dose of spiritual supplements from A to Z. Catholic Vitamins, specially formulated to help you achieve optimum spiritual health. It's time to energize your faith, forget what lies behind, and press on toward the goal. We've already won. Here are your hosts for Catholic Vitamins, Deacon Tom Fox and his lovely wife, Dee. Happy New Year, everyone. Hi, it's Dee. And Deacon Tom, blessings from, uh, I would say, the dynamic duo, but that wouldn't be exactly correct. I don't know how dynamic we are. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Catholic Vitamins. It is our, uh, what show, Dee? It is T for testimony, Catholic Vitamin T. For testimony three, number three, you've done. We've done we've testimony. Done, done, yes, in the eleven years or twelve years we've been doing this, we've done it twice before. Well, we have a very special reason for promoting the idea of Catholic testimony because of our guests. They are <clears throat> Sister Grace and Sister Marina, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about them a bit later, and uh, we'll have an interview with them, which I'm really excited to share with everybody. This is episode 467 for the World Wide Web. And I might just say that they are sisters from the Servants of the Home of the Mother, a wonderful order. And there's a reason that we're having uh, time spent with that order again. If you're a recent listener, you know that we did a special show on Sister Claire Crockett and uh, her life and witness and testimony and uh, we'll we'll get into all of that in a little bit later in the show. D. Yes, I'm here. We yeah. uh, we promoted the uh, show numbers right. and the radio version for our do? local radio station KPIH ninety eight point nine. This is episode one hundred and fifteen. Wow! All right. Well, <clears throat> we have just gone through the beautiful season of Christmas and New Year's. This is our first show in the new year. And uh, D, let's talk a little bit about masses. We attended. Uh, well, you did three masses. You served at three masses for Christmas. I did. What a blessing! How oh, oh, absolutely wonderful! And our good friend Pat, who claims credit for her return to the faith from finding a, a KPIH bumper sticker on a car in a parking lot, she uh, played the organ for the six p.m. Christmas Eve mass. And also at the 10 a.m. Mass Christmas Day. I opted not to go to the 6 p.m. And you came home and raved about the beautiful music and the choir. I was so sad that I wasn't there. (laughs) Well, it really, really was wonderful. We have a friend, Michelle, who was with her family and daughter. And her daughter looked over and she said, Mother, why are you crying? And she said, this is so beautiful to be in church, to not be COVID-restricted. And, uh, yeah, wonderful Christmas hymns, 
All three Masses were wonderful. We thank our pastor, Father Joseph Vieira, and we thank all those who came to worship with us. And then, D- then, we had, then we had New Year's Day Mass, and we were blown away. Absolutely amazing. Church our, was filled. and I mean, as filled as we can make it with COVID restrictions. And so many families with children were coming in. I think Father held up Mass for a, a minute or two because he was trying to get one family to go up and get themselves situated in the choir loft because we didn't have any more room in the church. It was a lovely problem to have. Absolutely lovely. And I just love the little children so much, and I make a fuss over them and try to get them to smile as they're particularly coming out. And I tease some of them. We had a couple of young servers that helped at Masses uh, over this period. It was Wonderful. nice. Yeah. Well, uh, here we are in the new year, and uh, I may say something about New Year's resolutions, but it may not be what you might be expecting to hear. So I don't usually make them because I figure I'll break them. <laughs> <laughs> well, if all you have to do is get rid of two things in your life, uh, sweets and eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> That's the help of the Lord. All right, should we take a break? Let's take our first break and we'll be back with Prattle Section 2. was, of course, Francesca La Rosa, and uh, she's a good friend of Catholic Vitamins. She does such beautiful spiritual music and prayers set to music, and um, she also plays a lot of instrumental music that is available on her website. 
www.francescalarosa.com. And she also appears, and she uses her married name, Francesca Rohrer, R-O-H-E-R. She's very much in love with her young <laughs> husband, and he's a... Um, As it should be. Well, yes, of course, yes. He's a talented uh, producer, and I know he's doing a lot of work to help her promote her music and set things to certain musical standards. So, And we just heard from her, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We had uh, greetings from her for uh, the holidays. Bless you, Francesca, dear hey. friend. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, speaking of our testimony vitamin. Yes, yes. We had a occasion to do a little testimony in our favorite little breakfast cafe this morning, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We have uh, a place that we go to on Saturday mornings. God, uh, we thank you for uh, allowing us to do that. And uh, the staff has gotten to know us, if not by name, by uh, our smiling faces when we came in. What were you going to say, Dee, about testimony? Well, one of the young bussers, actually she's the older of the bussers there, mm-hmm. But they're all the young girls. She was saying, you know, how was your New Year's? Did you stay up late? Blah, blah, blah. And we're saying, well, as a matter of fact, we were up late. And then I proceeded to tell her about our hour of prayer in church from 11 to midnight. And she's like, you you were in church? You were at the church at that hour? And we said, yeah. So we were, it was a way of witnessing to her. I know. <laughs> I know. I think she was taken back, um, probably not disappointed at all, but she was surprised. And she thought, oh, gosh, that's so wonderful. And she said, maybe I'll join you next year. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, We'll be back. Hi, I'm Tom Beal. ComeHolyGhost at gmail.com. My wife and I recently celebrated 50 years of marriage. And although we celebrated on the anniversary date of our wedding, We didn't so much celebrate our wedding as we did our marriage. We savored the life and times we had spent together. Our wedding was the doorway to marriage, a moment of commitment and grace, but only a doorway. The true value has been our marriage. The doorway to union with Christ for Catholic Christians is through the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. Those sacraments are moments of commitment and grace, but still only doorways to life in Christ. Just as the marriage union is in name only, if one of the partners rarely communicates or is rarely present, so it is with our union with God. It too can be in name only if we don't give our 100%. The Catechism has a name for this union with God, the life in the Spirit. Because when you have been initiated through repentance, faith, and baptism, God adopts you and restores you to your original sinless state. That is, he breathes his spirit into you as he did to Adam in the garden, and his spirit remains with you forever as your companion. The spirit is willing and thirsts deeply for your friendship. He invites you to savor his life within you and to live it to the full with him. It is true to say that my wife and I are our sacrament of matrimony how we live our marriage. It was initiated 50 years ago, but the true sacrament is our married union today. In the same way, your sacrament of baptism is not just the baptismal event, but your lived life in the Spirit, how you live out your union with God through the Holy Spirit. 
in how you live out the evangelical confirmation power of that same spirit, in how you live out a Eucharist-fed, spirit-led life of sacrifice and thanksgiving. Go for it. You are the Spirit's sacrament to the world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help me to sense and grasp the fullness and depth of the life we have together. Help me to savor our pastimes, to enjoy this moment, and to glory in our future together. I am joyfully and humbly yours. Amen. Well, you may have heard me talk about it before, the uh, November 24th, 2020 issue of our Sunday Visitor had an editorial with this lead, Are You All In or Are You Cohabitating with Jesus? You know, cohabitation, enjoying the smiles and the good times, not really being profoundly connected to the church, sort of doing your own thing, no rules, just cohabitating, or are you all in? Or to put it another way, what we are involved in must be all or nothing. And in our October 2020 Catholic Vitamins, we presented a show with an interview about the all-too-brief life of a Sister Claire Crockett. That life was told in the book by Sister Kristen Gardner, entitled Sister Claire Crockett, Alone with Christ Alone. Sister Claire died in an earthquake in Ecuador just a few years ago, but her life was a vibrant testimony to the reality of what we are all here on earth for. This life This faith walk, this practice that we do, it must be all or nothing. And today on this show, we bring you two sisters from the order called Servant Sisters of the Home of the Mother, SHM for short. These sisters give testimony to God's call in their lives, and later in the interview, they tell us what it was like to know Sister Claire Crockett. Please support this order please go to www.homeofthemother.org. We'll be back with our special guests. Next up on Catholic Vitamins, <clears throat> I'm with two, <clears throat> two wonderful sisters of the Order of the Servant Sisters of the Home of the Mother. Here I am getting all choked up just beginning to introduce the sisters. Mm -hmm. I have today with us Sister Marina and Sister Grace, and we're going to share uh, a little bit in their journey stories, and we're going to talk about their order, the Servant Sisters of the Home of the Mother, and then we're going to talk about one of the members, uh, Sister Claire, Claire Crockett, that we've talked about before on Catholic Vitamins. Listeners to our program will know how uh, how touched, how moved I was <clears throat> by our earlier experience learning about Sister Claire. And I'm looking forward to sharing uh, more about that on this episode. Let me uh, start by asking Sister Marina the first question. Sister, because we never know who might be listening or someone is listening for the first time, Would you say a few words about the Servant Sisters of the Home of the Mother, where the order started, and what their mission or missions are? Yes, yes, of course. So the Servant Sisters of the Home of the Mother really 
I guess you can say began as a youth group. Um, our founder is a diocesan priest from Spain. He's still alive today. Um, and he kind of put, uh, worked many, he felt a great call to work with the youth and, um, and around on, uh, those, some of those women, uh, in that youth, they felt a great desire to commit themselves more to our Lord with stronger commitments, simply as young people. And so it really began with strong commitments of youth on July 29, 1982, they took a pilgrimage all the way to the Vatican and before the tomb of St. Peter, made their commitments for the year um, to commit themselves more strongly in a Christian life to our Lord and to our Blessed Mother. Um, and you could say that movement, uh, that group, be- began to have that name of Home of the Mother. Um, from there, a few of the women, about three of them, began to feel an even stronger call to give themselves completely to Christ. Um, and so eventually, those women began to live uh, in 1984, they began to live a life of stronger prayer and stronger silence, kind of almost experiencing a life of, of consecration to our Lord. And so they began little by little, and until 1994, they had that king of the church um, from Spain, in the diocese in Spain, and they had they received an official approval in 1994 to begin the Servant Sisters of the Home of the Mother. And so from there, they began to grow and grow until what we have today, many sisters around the world, about 170 serving in different communities. Awesome. Um, awesome. I can share. We have three missions. If you like, I can share that. Sure. I was going to ask Sister Grace about that, but please go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, Sister, go ahead. Well, you can say it. <laughs> okay. We have three missions uh, in the church, and our first mission is the defense of the Eucharist. Our second mission is the defense of the honor of our mother, especially in the privilege of her virginity. And the third mission is the conquest of young people for Jesus Christ. Um, the third mission is, you know, primarily we work with young people, but not exclusively. So we want to bring all, everybody, all souls to the Lord, to our blessed mother. And we do that also by our first two missions, the defense of the Eucharist and the defense of the honor of our mother, especially in the privilege of her virginity. Um, We're seeing that more and more today in this present day, how important our first mission is to defend the Eucharist um, during this time, especially during the time that we have lived in this pandemic. Uh, And our founder is Father Raphael. I don't know if Sister Marina, did you mention that? Mm -hmm. Yes, Father Raphael. Um, and he's still alive. Thanks be to God, he's um, in Spain, and uh, we have a lot of contact with him. He, it was, you know, it was through him all of these missions came. And in all our communities, uh, we we have the sisters, which is the uh, feminine branch, and then we also have the male branch of the servant priest of the home of the mother and the brothers. And then we also have um, a lay movement of. Uh, you know, also families that also belong to the home of the mother. So we're one big family. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And where are, where are you serving uh, in the places where you're active? Um, well, for the sisters, we have homes primarily in Spain where we first began. And then we also have uh, three communities in, no, I'm sorry, two in Italy, um, three in Ireland, which all were founded right after Sister Claire passed away. 
So we say that's a blessing and a gift from her and her doing. <laughs> and we also have three in Ecuador. One of them is the one that she, where she passed away. And one in the United States in Jacksonville, Florida, where we're serving currently now, Sister Grace and I. So, Sister um, Marina, <clears throat> would you uh, begin to share sort of in a flyover fashion mm-hmm. your journey from your youth and whatever faith practice there was then to entering the order? Sure. <laughs> So I grew up in a a Catholic family. I'm originally from Connecticut, um, up north. And so I um, grew up in Catholic school all my life. So I received that education. My mother was very much a practicing Catholic. She would always make sure that she brought the family to church and and teach us to pray the rosary and all of our little prayers when we were young. Um, uh, And I personally always had kind of that sincere love for the Lord, I think. Um, always kind of felt drawn to God. Um, but in a sense, I didn't really know him personally. I just knew, I always knew that God existed. I always believed in my Catholic faith, but I can't say that I could defend it in any way. I wasn't sure how to defend it or things like that. Um, but as I started to grow up and go into high school, as unfortunately happens to many young people, um, you begin to really start feeling drawn to the things of the world and your eyes begin to turn a little bit away from God and turn more towards the worldly things that are just seem so attractive to the young people. Um, and so that love for the Lord kind of grew a bit cold. Um, I began to fall more into a lot of that kind of scenes of partying and things like that. Um, and yet at the same time, uh, it was always a struggle for me when I was in high school because I felt a great tug in both directions, both towards God and at the same time towards the world. So for me, it was very much trying to almost justify my two lives and put them into one. And I think a lot of people do that. They always say, well, I can be of the world and of God at the same time. But gosh, I begin to realize that you can't do that. (laughs) If you're of God, you've got to be of God completely. The world just sucks you right in, you know. And so unfortunately that happened to me. So by the time I got to college, um, I knew that I had to make some strong decisions. And I realized if I don't begin to make steps towards my faith and begin to put myself in a good environment, I'm just going to be totally swallowed up by the world and just fall into all the mediocrity. And not only that, but fall into a lot of really bad sins and just have really wrong criteria and just get confused in my faith. So by the time I got to college, um, I eventually tried to find a good group of friends. And so while I was in college through those friends, I began to discover a lot of things. I began to discover daily mass. I discovered um, adoration um, and uh, and even the liturgy of the hours. And all of this was almost new to me in a sense because um, I just had a basic faith life. And so I was just all of a sudden soaking all of this in and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is what I've always been looking for and searching for, but I never found because the people around me in my high school, nobody went to mass anymore. You know, you're just basically Catholic by name, but you didn't practice. I was the only one that would go to mass on Sunday because my mom wanted me to. (laughs) So in this discovery while I was in college, um, some of my friends introduced me to um, the sisters in Florida. And so eventually I uh, would began to participate in pilgrimages and um, retreats and things like that that they would have um, throughout the year. And little by little, I began to meet them and spend some time with them. 
Um, actually, it was on one of those pilgrimages that I was had met Sister Claire for the first time because she was serving in the in the in the Florida community at that time. And um, and then uh, I was on one of the retreats that I um, had a really strong encounter with the Eucharist, um, with our Lord in the Eucharist. And I almost at that time, what I was writing in the journal and I was writing everything down. And to me, I felt like I had a big question mark on my whole life. I had my plans, but all of a sudden I felt like I wasn't sure what to do. I, I wanted to practice medicine. I wanted to have a family. I was dating at the time. I had a very serious relationship. You know, it looked like I was going to get married. And all of a sudden, going there and the, before our Lord, it was like my world got turned upside down, and I felt like God interrupted my thoughts and kind of said to me, um, I want you to be all mine, all, all mine, and as a servant sister, not with words, but with a strong understanding in my heart that God was speaking to me very strongly. Um, but but at the same time, with a great loving compassion, like calling me to him. And I stopped writing and I looked up at him and I said to the, the Lord in the Eucharist, me, how can that be? You know, I, I have a boyfriend, you know, I thought it was impossible. <laughs> um, but at that moment, I felt like God showed me that that man, that boy had his own path and I had my path. And I felt a great responsibility that if I didn't follow my vocation, not only was I going to... Um, uh, almost ruined in a sense or not fulfill God's plan in my life, but I was also going to stray that boy off as well with the plans that God had for him in his life. And so I felt that as well, not only responsibility to help me fulfill God's plan, but to help that boy break off and fulfill his plans for God. So eventually, um, after a little bit of a struggle, because I didn't want it at first, and I, no, no, God, don't pick me, don't pick me, you know, <laughs> anybody but me. But eventually I knew if I don't say yes, I'm never going to be happy because I know the rule, the simple rule to life is follow God's will and you're going to be happy. <laughs> You'll never regret it, no matter how hard it is. And so eventually I did. I said yes. And when I entered as a postman or as a candidate, as as we call it, in the first step, that was the moment that I felt the greatest, I could say, out of, I think out of all the moments in my life, I I, it was a tangible feeling in, in the sense of the greatest peace, overwhelming peace that I ever encountered in my life because I finally stopped playing tug of war with God in a sense and I gave it all to him. I finally gave it all to him. And I, after that, I, I never looked back and I was, I've always been just so happy that I had the courage that God gave me the grace to finally say yes. And so, um, and so here I am today and I made my perpetual vows in 2018 uh, and and I'm here serving in Jacksonville now. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, let me get a couple of questions in. Um, when did you enter the order? <laughs> I entered in 2009. Okay. And how uh, how did the family react to your decision about entering mm-hmm. the order? Um, at first, it was a little tough for them because I think it kind of came as a shock since at that time I was dating. They didn't expect me to say that all of a sudden. Um, but thankfully, both of my parents were very supportive of it, although it was difficult because they knew that that meant that they wouldn't necessarily see me so often or they knew I had to simply go on that path. Um but at the same, it was kind of a, a, a sort of surrender in a sense. Parents have to surrender your children to God as well and uh, live that vocation as well as parents of sisters. Um, so it was difficult at first, but at the same time, thankfully, they were very supportive of it. And they wanted me to always fulfill God's will for my life. Praise God. Thank you. 
for yeah. that. And uh, I couldn't help during the early part of your journey thinking of St. Augustine, <laughs> uh, Lord, you know, uh, <laughs> make me chase, but not today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but um, <clears throat> the, uh, the time of God's call finds us, you know, with one foot in the world and one foot trying to find someplace else to step. Yeah. Well, wonderful story, uh, inspiring for sure, very uh, love-filled. Sister Grace, how about if we do the same with you? (laughs) Where did you get your start? Well, um, my story is pretty similar to Sister Marina's in the sense that I grew up in a Catholic family. Uh, My parents are both from the Philippines. Um, I grew up in New York half my life and half my life in New Jersey. Um, And, you know, my mom, she's very pious, so she would bring us to Mass, uh, daily Mass. Actually, I remember her, even as a child, um, taking me and my older sister, my younger sister, um, to daily Mass into into the city, into New York City. Um, And, you know, we just, that's what we did. Um, and I do remember that helping me and having an impact on me at a very young age. I, I always say that it's such a great thing because I, when I, I teach kids now and I think of that, uh, I, I would think of God a lot when I was little, but as Sister Marina had mentioned previously, you, um, even though, you know, you grow up in the Catholic faith, well, you get into your teenage years and that just seems to be there, but on the side and you start going towards the worldly things. And, um, but my, but, you know, we continue with Sunday mass. Uh, we would pray the daily rosary in our home. And I know now looking back, none of that went to waste because all of my parents' prayers uh, for me are, are, are definitely, um, there and helping me, uh, persevere in my vocation. But, um, it was maybe in my teenage years too. I also joined a, a, um, a community. It was a charismatic community in New Jersey for a while. We were there for maybe two or three years. And I do remember having that encounter with the Lord. I said, oh, wow, you could really, you could be young. You know, I saw other people my age and, and love the Lord. And, you know, it's not all about the party scene. Um, and I have to say, you know, I'll probably give away my age, but it was at that time I started to discover um, EWTN, the Eternal Word Television Network with Mother Angelica. And I would watch that show, and then I had the button, and I would change it to MTV, uh, <laughs> and it was back and forth. So that was just um, probably, you know, what my life was like at that time. I, I wanted to, I was so drawn to the Lord and, and the things of God, but um, very drawn to the things of the world and then the music and all of that. It was about um, maybe towards the end of my high school year or, or the beginning of college, I can't, uh, yes, I, I'm pretty sure that it was then that um, I had an experience, and I'll share this um, because it was essential to my vocation, and, you know, I would always hear my mom say, you know, you have to do the will of God and this and that, but it was like a typical teenager, it goes in one ear and out the other, mm-hmm. and so I, um, I remember that one of my very close friends in the community that I was in um, we had just celebrated her 21st birthday, and I do remember that um, it was uh, at some point um, one of my other friends told me that she had passed away all of a sudden in her sleep, and that for me was 
very shocking. You know, when you're young and you know another young person who you know very well, all of a sudden die. She's a very close friend of mine. I, and I remember in that moment um, just thinking about death. And I, you know, and what your mo- mom said, you know, <laughs> you either you live your life here and then you're, you're, you're going to go to heaven, you're going to go to hell. You know, there's those two options. And that, that, again, for me, that became so real. And I thought, am I doing the will of God? And I remember clearly thinking, I said, nope, I've been doing what I want up to now. That's what I felt in my heart as a young person. And I, and I asked my, I I asked myself this question, if I die tonight in my sleep, because that's how my friend died, I said, um, where am I going? And it wasn't a very positive answer. Um, And that made me think a lot, uh, Deacon Tom, it it made me think about um, my, my life you know, what am I doing? What am I here for? Asking all those fundamental questions. And I did remember right after that experience, I was praying to the Lord in, in, in my bedroom and I was just, you know, in a flood of tears. And I said, Lord, um, I want to do your will. Like, tell me what your will is. Um, and I felt that in my heart, he said to me, I want you to be all mine, totally mine. You know, and I thought, oh, that means you have to become a nun. And my, mm-hmm. my immediate reaction, and I'm all by myself now, this is happening within my soul, but was, no, I don't want to be a nun. They're boring. Uh, they're all old, <laughs> and I can't be one of them. No way. I thought this all there. I, talking to the Lord, that was a moment of prayer. I look back on that now. But I, you know, trying to make excuses within myself. No, no, I'll be a missionary or whatever. Let me finish my plans. But it came to me again, like you need to do God's will. So I was invited to a pilgrimage um, right after that experience that I didn't want to tell anybody about. And it was to go to all the Marian shrines that, you know, was a dream to go to Lourdes, go to Fatima. And then we were going to go to Spain as well, because we were going to go to Avila and to a place called Garabandal. Um, And... It was there that um, some of the, it was mostly older people in this pilgrimage, but they said, we have some friends in that are priests and sisters of the home of the mother, if you would like to meet them. Now, mind you, uh, Dr. Tom, I mean, Deacon Tom, sorry about that, Doc. <laughs> uh, Deacon Tom, that uh, I had met the priest first, and I remember with what love the priest uh, celebrated Mass, and I remember him holding up the Eucharist during consecration, and the love and of how he treated Jesus in the Eucharist sparked in me that same love. I said, he's in love. He knows. He's, he's holding someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. It transmitted me, to me that as a teenager. I was like, I want to love like that. I want that's a pure love. And I met the sisters, and I have to tell you, you know, it was such a joy for me. At that time, there were only, I think, 20 sisters. Um, we're more than about 170 today. So that was back 20 years ago. And I remember um, that they were so joyful and young. And here I am like, Lord, but can I possibly have a vocation with these sisters? I don't even know how to speak Spanish. It's all the way here in Spain. You know, these were all going through my mind. I was like, this is impossible. I'm thinking this in my heart. But I do remember talking with one of the priests and thinking that if I did have a vocation, it would be with the servant sisters of the home of the mother. I don't know how, but it's here and it's with them. And I saw the joy 
that they had, it was that just attracted me because I thought, gosh, they live poverty, chastity, obedience, but they're so truly happy, truly joyful. And I, I experienced the love of Our Lady through the sisters and Father Raphael, our founder, and the priest. And so that's how my vocation was. I went after a year of struggle and I, I couldn't, I couldn't fight anymore. I, I said, here I am, you know, like St. Augustine said, my heart is restless, O Lord, until it rests in you. And so I knew then that my home was with the home of the mother. Well, that's a beautiful journey story as well. Uh, when did you order, enter the order, Sister Grace? Um, I entered in um, 1999. Okay, and so you've taken final profession Yes, I did. I took. Um, I made my final, uh, my perpetual vows in 2007. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, let me just throw an open question for either or both of you to jump in. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you're doing in Jacksonville? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, in our communities, we do a little bit of different things. Um, our mother superior once said, we're not defined by the work that we do, but by who we are as servant sisters and um, and our, the spirit that we give behind anything that we do. So we're at the service of the church. Um, but here in Jacksonville in particular, we are helping at um, parish schools, parochial schools. Um, and we go in usually once a week um, to visit with the different classrooms. Uh, so really we go in every day and visit a different grade level. And we work with the teachers, um, the religion teachers, to help reinforce um, the catechism classes for the children. So we go in and we teach them about the saints or we teach them about how to pray. We also try to take each of the classes. Uh, we have an adoration chapel here on campus, which is a blessing, um, although it's a little small. So now during COVID, we can't bring them in. <laughs> so before that, we would bring them into the class, uh, into the adoration chapel to pray and put them before um, our Eucharistic Lord and have that encounter with Christ, at least to spend some time with him in prayer and to learn how to pray and talk to him and listen to him. Um, we also help to do retreats during the year with the children here. Um, and then we also help in the parish with the catechism classes and things like that as well. Um, and then on the side, we'll do uh, different retreats and pilgrimages for the young people. And we'll, you know, in the past, we've always taken them to the March for Life and things like that. Um, so that's a little bit about what we do here in Jacksonville. <laughs> Gosh, how wonderful. How absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> and um, I imagine that you have seen the joy of faith beginning to come alive in young minds at various grade levels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a blessing. I mean, I know... Uh, one of our sisters, um, she's working with the eighth graders this year, and last year she also worked with them uh, for confirmation. Um, and it's incredible because even though, you know, I guess I've also been able to relate in Sister Grace as well in a sense that we grew up in Catholic school too. So sometimes the kids take it for granted, their faith. You know, they're learning all the catechism, but then the big question is, is it really getting to the heart, which is the most important part, not just the mind, but the heart? Are they falling in love with Christ? And so to see them grow up in the school, they're learning and learning and learning. Um, but sometimes it doesn't, you know, it skips a little bit. They're, they don't, It doesn't really get to their heart and things like that. But in the confirmation year, it's so beautiful because um, it's the opportunity to receive another sacrament. And so they're really diving in in a special way into their journey, into their faith. 
Um, and so it just, they begin to spark lots of questions and well, what about this or what about that? And now they're not taking it so much for granted, but now they're really exploring their faith. And so by the end of the year, when they receive their confirmation, it's just so beautiful to see the smiles on their faces and to see them desire to receive the Holy Spirit and to really live it and want to live it when they go to high school. They're like off to the bang, you know, like, yeah, okay, we're ready for high school. Let's let's try to keep our faith alive, you know, (laughs) and that's a blessing. (laughs) Well, sisters, uh, Marina and Grace, uh, I've Mm -hmm. told this before on Catholic Vitamins, our podcast that we do on the web and on our local Catholic radio station, and that is that my wife ripped a two-page article out of a mass supplement uh, book. I think it was The Word Among Us, if I remember which uh-huh. which one she uh, took the story from. And it was the story of Sister Grace, uh, uh, Sister Claire Crockett. And I, yeah. uh, almost like the beginning of a vocation, I had this profound feeling of I wanted to know more about her life and mm-hmm. about her joy and work. And we don't have a lot of time left, but I'd like the closing part of our time together to speak about Sister Claire Crockett. And I sort of know what's happened in my life. I've been really sharing about her a lot, and I've been trying to uh, remember to have that joy that she exhibited. But let's start by saying... um, Either of you sisters, did you, were you around her as she entered? What was she like when she began her journey uh, with your order? Mm-hmm. Well, perhaps I'll, I'll take this one. This is Sister Grace. Um, mm-hmm. I was, and I, if you've seen uh, the documentary that came out about Sister Claire, All or Nothing, it's on YouTube. Uh, I was there when Sister Claire had her conversion um, in the year 2000 at our Holy Week encounter. It's a retreat for, for families, for everyone uh, during, the, during the tritium. Um, and it was, she was in my group. And, you know, if people read her story or heard anything about it, she was this typical uh, teenager from Ireland who uh, didn't really want to do um, um, anything with a face, she wanted to be, I remember her saying that to our founder when he asked, what would you like to do, you know, in your life? And she said, I want to be a famous Hollywood actress. I can still see her face. Um, and she, you know, she was dressed up and she was, she smoked a lot. And, <laughs> you know, I, I joke, I joked with her. I said, you know, you look like a walking chimney. Uh, because <laughs> she, 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 that's how she was. And, and, you know, she was a bit, uh, rough around the edges and, but she had that aspiration to, to, to be a famous, um, Hollywood actress. And she, she, she explained that herself in her, in her own journey. But when I met her, that's how she was. And, you know, it could seem so superficial, but there were times when our founder spoke, Father Raphael, we were speaking about the Eucharist is precisely that year was a topic about the Eucharist. And it's as if she had no clue as to what or who was in the Eucharist. She said, she would say in her dairy accent, what's the Eucharist? Like she would say so strongly. Mm-hmm. And then she would just go on listening. And, uh, but she was, you know, she was really trying to understand. So that's how I remember. But she would, she would joke around. Now, this is before she even entered as a candidate um, into our community, but she would, I would see her joking around very, uh, vivacious, very lively, and all the girls that were on that trip with her from Ireland, they would just follow her around. So she did have that um, personality, 
You know, she had a great personality, fun to be with. She was always joking. And then um, I don't know if you want me to go into her just quickly into her like that conversion on Good Friday. Um, well, but I um, I've read the story, and of course, I've interviewed the author of the book, one of your sisters. Oh, sister Christine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but but for anybody that is new to uh, hearing about Sister Claire Crockett, would you just briefly speak about that Good Friday incident? Yes. Yeah, so this happened um, in the year two thousand, and there she was. You know, previous to that, she kept trying to get out of all the talks, you know, that we were having, and she just wanted to stay out and smoke a cigarette. And I remember. Um, just always trying to find her, you know, Claire, we have to go, you know, into the church with all the other girls. And, but she had that, she, she had that in her heart. Okay. I just, I'll go in because that's what we have to do. And we'll get this over with uh, little. Did she know that that moment was going to be decisive for the rest of her life? Um, as she went on good Friday to kiss the crucifix, um, during the liturgy, um, our, we were our founder was holding the crucifix she went close to kiss the crucifix and that's where she felt uh deep within inside of her that it was jesus christ who died for her and and he died for you know for her and it was all her sins that put jesus on the cross and that was that moment for her she always explains um every time i've heard her talk about her conversion story she talks about that moment and so I just remember her after the liturgy was over, crying, crying, crying. And I said to her, Claire, are you okay? You know, and she just kept repeating, he died for me. He loves me. He died for me. She seemed a bit crazy (laughs) because she was repeating that and she was crying. And I didn't know if it was like a sentimental moment of a 17-year-old or if, you know, what was going on. But she kept repeating that he died for me. He loved me. Why didn't anybody ever tell me this? And so I knew in that moment, Oh, there must be something going on and I can't help her. So I'm going to go find father Raphael, the priest. And he spoke with her and thanks be to God. I, I actually, in that moment, I was able to be in that conversation because she couldn't speak Spanish and father didn't speak English. So he needed an interpreter. Um, and it was a, one of those moments I look back that I remember being in front of something very supernatural. Mm. And, he, and father explained that to her heart like she was so open to what father was saying and he was explaining what that grace could mean for her and how much god loved her and how much you know uh you know that meant and and she she was telling father that that she had to give him her whole entire life and to become she said one of us like the sisters oh, mm. oh gosh well i know it wasn't easy for her she went back to Derry, uh, ireland and she mm-hmm. spent a period of time where she sort of started to slack off but then then the call became real and undeniable for her and she entered your order what year did she enter the order she entered the following year at 2001 i think it was august 11th i'm pretty sure okay and um Again, just because of time, would you do just a, a, an overview of her formation? Did you watch her blossoming, to use a sort of a worldly term? Yeah, well, I could say, yes, in the first few uh, years we were together in Spain. Um, I saw her because the candidates live so close to the sisters, um, and she. I, I just saw her evolve from what was that superficiality and she, I mean, now we read the book that has recently recently been published, but Sister, um, on her part, she made every effort to open herself to the grace of God, and she depended totally on God's grace 
um, and our Blessed Mother. She had a very strong Marian um, love, you know, for Our Lady. It was Our Lady. She would ask her every day to say her yes to the Lord. And so um, I saw her, you know, as she, but she would always be a jokester. She was joking around, but, you know, we don't know what's going on inside of anybody's heart and soul. So I'm only knowing more about her now as I read the book. Um, but yes, I did see sister uh, a few months before she passed away. And I was with sister Marina and a few other sisters. And I could tell you, uh, Deacon Tom, that I thought really that sister had transformed into the Eucharist because of her total surrender. And we later on talked about it after her death. We all had that same experience. We perceived that sister was really mature in her spiritual life as a, a servant sister of the home of the mother. Yeah. Well, the uh, book that you're referring to, if I uh, remember the title exactly, it's Sister Claire Crockett. Uh, let me think the sub words are Alone with God Alone. Alone with Christ Alone. Alone that was with Christ the, Alone. Yeah. And uh, I, I have read the book. I was very, very moved by it. And uh, to uh, to read of the depth of her holy aspirations and her sensitivity to sin in her life and uh, whatever, coupled with um, the great progress that she made and the effect that she had on other people. Sister Marina, were, were you aware of her impact on other people? <laughs> I think um, I think looking back now on her life, what in, what makes uh, what amazes me, I think you could say, is that exteriorly it was easy to see that she had an impact in the sense of one because her personality was just so vivacious, everyone loved her in a sense. You know, it was easy for people to just come around and to talk to her, and she was easy to talk to, and she made you feel at home and. You know, like the young people and the kids, any age, really, from babies all the way up to the elderly and the young people. And everyone would love to simply just be with her and talk to her um, because she had been given that gift and a sense of that beautiful personality to make it easy to speak to. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when, when we began now after her death to read um, the things that she wrote, um, it was amazing to see not only on an exterior level that um, how she was, but her very, very deep, deep uh, union with God and with our Blessed Mother and how she, even though on the outside sometimes was very silly, like she was a very funny sister and she's silly. And, you know, if any of the listeners have seen her videos and things like that, she was just a silly person. She was just really funny and a funny character. But on the inside, what an incredible deep relationship she had with our Lord and our Lady. I mean, she just always wanted to give more and more and more and more to God. And nobody really knew that deep relationship except for Father Raphael and Mother Anna, of course, our superior general. But she could be very serious, too. She didn't play around with sin. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. that I saw as a sister. You know, when we were working with young people, she was adamant. She said, no, especially to mortal sin. She says, we don't play around with that. And I've seen her on various occasions working with her at summer camps that we have. Um, her, her, her love for the Lord just um, inspired so many young people in, 
just to to leave behind, you know, maybe their life of sin. But she was very, she could be very serious when it came to that point. (laughs) If she said that was offending our Lord or our Blessed Mother, that's where Sister Claire, it wasn't a joke anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You mentioned videos and for our listeners today, an entry point to find out more about your order and about the lives of the sisters and the... um, others that are in your order, as well as Sister Claire's life, the uh, one place mm-hmm. to do that, one place to do that is by visiting your website for the order and mm-hmm. uh, help me with the entry point for that. I know that the one for Sister Claire uh, alone, uh, but what's the entry point on the web for your order? For us, sure. So for our particular website about our, our congregation is simply www.homeofthemother.org, homeofthemother.org. And then to see a lot more specifically about Sister Claire, it's Sister Claire, C-L-A-R-E, and Sister spelled out, sisterclaire.com. And there you can see a lot of stuff specifically about her. (laughs) Sister Marina, Sister Grace, um, we only allocated so much time for this. I I would have wished this was a two-part episode or or an hour-long show today, but uh, what what a grace it has been to spend time with you this way. And um, I promise that we will keep you in our prayers at our end and hope that God blesses uh, your order with more protection, more uh, devotion, more love for the Eucharist, and continues to work with young people and inspire them to greater faith and also to uh, protect the, uh, uh, what would we say, the uh, the understanding of the Blessed Virgin Mary and her virginity, another part of the, your order's charisms. So thank you so much, both of you, <clears throat> for this time today, and um, we will keep you in our prayers. Thank you, Deacon Tom. Thank you so much. What a joy to spend time with the uh, two sisters from that order and to talk about Sister Claire Crockett. D, when you saw their pictures, you just said... Oh, I commented on how joyful they look. They're radiant, just like Sister Claire Crockett was, huh? Well, thank you so much to them for their time, the gift of their time. Well, let's give our books away before we run out of time. So we had Dr. Bergsma on our show last time. Yes, we did. And so we're still offering his book, Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls, Revealing the Jewish Roots of Christianity. And he has a couple nice endorsements on the back, one from Scott Hahn, Mike Aquilina, if I, Grant Petrie. Excuse me for interrupting. If um, I could just refer to our show that we did last time, he's probably one of the most popular professors on the Franciscan University campus in Ohio, And I've heard him many, many times speak for the priest-deacon retreats that I attend there. So uh, I highly recommend the book. I'm reading it. It's on my nightstand, and I'm reading it now. That was a book giveaway that's going to be with us for quite a while. Our January KPIH Catholic Radio 
book giveaway is a wonderful book, A Hundred Ways Pope John Paul II Changed the World. So many of us have a love for the late Holy Father. This is by uh, Patrick Novakowski. And, um, you know, I can just say that there's so many things that he did that this author, Patrick, has itemized them. He starts with number 100 and goes down to number one is. <laughs> but uh, if you'd like either of these books, send an email to catholicvitamins at gmail.com, catholicvitamins at gmail.com, or call our studio and leave your contact information. D, what's the number? 928. 928- Three six three four one four four. Now, how did you know this? Because you've flubbed so many times. Nine two eight. I finally six. cheated, folks. I've got it taped up here on the screen. Nine two eight three six three four one four four. And just state which book you want. Hundred ways Pope John Paul changed the world, or Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Wonderful book. Both. Well, actually, both of them are wonderful. Uh, Dee, uh, we were uh, talking a little bit about addictions uh, earlier in the show. Oh, and you mentioned my uh, eggnog egg yes, and sweets. <laughs> well, I well have, you have one. <laughs> Would you like to confess? Bless me, Deacon Price. <laughs> um, there's a, a type of European holiday. It's Italian, isn't it? I think it's Italian, but I, I wasn't sure. Uh, it's called Panettone. And it is like a fruit cake, but not with a heavy. No, no, it's 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 a light cake with little fruit pieces in it. I'm very surprised that our local Walmart carries it on Christmas time. Oh my and, gosh, they had loads of them, and uh, they sell quite a bit of them. And you you've gotten to like buying some and giving them away as gifts. And, yeah, yeah. But you were in Walmart right after Christmas. And they were 50% off. <laughs> and you texted me and told me that. And I said, well, we only have one here at home. You better buy another one. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I'm going to confess to. We're not saying anymore. <laughs> well, um, I admit that I'm addicted to the, that too. All right. One other thing we want to share from our faith uh, walk in recent hours is that we watched the... Uh, Fatima movie, yes. and uh, it's a very wonderful, tender, sweet story, and uh, I wish I could give away the DVD as, as a giveaway on Catholic Vitamins, but we have some people that I'm are... I'm going to say you have a lineup of people who yeah. want to borrow it. Well, that's uh, Catholic Vitamins for this period, the kickoff of the new year. We uh, hope that you will be with us for our next show. And we always try to find guests and topics to nourish faith from A to Z. So, D, love you, and I'll see you on the next show. Bye. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And we'll see you next time on Catholic Vitamins.